everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and right over there is Nikki Kinzer. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Nikki, it's back to school season. I know. It is unreal <laughs> to me. I feel like we just started celebrating summer. Well, we did. I'm not quite ready. Like, I, I'm excited about this show, but then I'm also like, oh, man, I have to really start thinking about yeah, some stuff. Right. <laughs> this is, this is, I think, our fifth back-to-school season on this show, and it hasn't gotten any easier. If it hasn't hit your community yet, it's coming, and that means <laughs> it's time to evaluate your strategies as a parent in helping your kids manage their ADHD in the classroom and beyond. But before we dig in, head over to TakeControlADHD.com. Get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to our mailing list and uh, just right on the home pages click that little button and join the mailing list we'll send you an email every time the latest episode goes live each week you can always connect with us on twitter and facebook at take control adhd call us and leave us a voicemail you'd love to get your voice on the show 503-664-4ADD and finally the biggest news yet don't forget it's open enrollment season for nikki's small group coaching beginning next month so if you haven't put your name on the list it's not too late but it's getting perilously close to too late. Take control ADHD.com. Sign up and check out Nikki's other powerful online trainings there as well. Elaine Taylor Klaus is co-founder for Impact ADHD and is a coach behind tools and resources dedicated to parents of kids with ADHD. She is, as you might expect, parent to a child with ADHD herself, but like so many of us, she was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult herself, and she's a teacher. So she brings with her the perfect perspective on life and living with ADHD that is critical to any discussion that targets practical tools to help parents help kids cool. while keeping themselves cool in the process. Elaine is one half of the duo at Impact ADHD with Diane Dempster, who couldn't be with us today. So uh, Diane's role will be played by Elaine as well. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, welcome to the ADHD podcast. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. <laughs> Welcome. Well, we are thrilled to have you here. Um, as we said, you know, back to school, it's a busy season. I'm sure it's very busy over at Impact ADHD. Yeah, you might call it our busy season. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Well, I love your website. It is Thank filled you. with so much information, so many resources. Um, I just, it's fantastic. So if people haven't checked it out yet, they definitely need to. Uh, so today, Today we're going to talk about back to school. Um, we don't have a real agenda. I, I just want to pick your brain. Awesome. <laughs> ask well, I'm questions. laughing because, you know, here I live in Georgia and most of the schools are already back to school. They've already started. Yeah, we're, oh. we're on the delayed side. We've got weeks yet. Well, yes. we, and we noticed this summer that we have clients all over the country. So from the time they stop to the time they start and then in other parts of the world, there's only about four weeks in the summer that our clients are really out of school. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's interesting. Really. Yeah. 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 We don't start until after Labor Day. So it's the first week of, of uh, September. Yeah, I'm jealous. Mm. <laughs> See, that's why I'm torn. That's why I'm like, okay, I really want to do this. But gosh, that means that I have to start getting organized and thinking about back to school. And that I'm just not quite there yet. Not there. I, <laughs> my kids still are still summer. at camp for crying out loud. We still have a vacation left. Wow. Oh, yeah, crazy. I'm jealous. <laughs> Crazy, crazy. Well, I'm curious, um, you know, that when I had actually reached out for, to you guys to, to be on the show, um, one of the topics that came back was, was the back to school with ADHD. What's the parent's real job? And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, that really sparks my curiosity. 
Am I doing it right? What is our job <laughs> when it comes to back to school? That's what this whole show is about, is actually just cementing whether or not we're okay. Are we good parents? Yeah, are we good parents? So if you could help that. So the short answer is yes, you're doing great, right? <laughs> oh, thank go. you. <laughs> if you're having this conversation, believe me, you're a step ahead of most, so you're good. <laughs> you know, it's it's an interesting, like the whole idea of what's our job, like the the notion that that there is a job for us. And I think, you know, when we were kids, I, our parents' job was to send us off to school. <laughs> right. That was right. pretty much it. Um, which meant a lot of us did go undiagnosed and and unrecognized and through through the years and sort of went under the radar, which was not always so good for us. Um, and but nowadays the parents' job is very different, and um, and navigating the nuances of that I think is really complicated. So where do you where do you start when you're sitting down having a conversation with somebody who's really struggling? What does that what does that look like? I mean, what if, do you have like a, a, a regimen that you look at when you when you help parents to rationalize what is their role going forward when when school starts? But, you know, we do, we have a methodology that we teach parents um, that's called the coach approach. And and we do have a, a model that we teach and we teach a program called Sanity School, which is really awesome that sort of gives parents a context and a framework. So, so the first place I think we often want to start with is understanding what our role is. Like, what are we bringing to the dynamic in the first place? Um, and so it's often starting by getting a sense of, of where the parent is in the process. Is the parent very hands-off? Maybe too much so. Is the very, very parent very hands-on? Maybe too much so. Um, often what we see is the parents bringing her or his own anxiety to the dynamic in a way that then sort of amps it up for the kids. I, so, I feel like you're in my house. <laughs> well, I'm going to say, that's me. Hello. I'm sure I do that. Yeah. yeah Particularly so, these big transitions. You know, I've got a 14-year-old a, a who's starting high school next year. I'm a hot mess. Like, it's all I can. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm practically, I just can't even look at her because I'm afraid I'll vomit all over her right now because I'm so anxiety-ridden. <laughs> You know, and I do think that teenagers get a bad rap. So I just want to say that, you know, just because you got a teenager coming, that doesn't mean it gets bad. Uh, I think I think they get a lot more interesting as human beings. And and so a lot of the process here is is about sort of calming our own anxieties and our own fears and concerns and realizing that our job is to slowly but surely pass the responsibility for their their work and their success from us to them. And when they're really little, it's our job to direct, right? We have to tell them, you know, it's time to do your homework. It's time to go to sleep. But as they get older, it's really our job to help them begin to assume those responsibilities for themselves. And I know that when we're dealing with an ADHD population, we think, well, but my kid can't. And, and in some ways, that's true. And we still want to begin to look for the little ways that we can pass the baton and let them have it and grab it and hold it and run with it and find success with it. One challenge, one opportunity, one responsibility at a time. And I know that theoretical, but it's really how it works. Well, you just made a connection for me that I think is really important. I want to reflect it a little bit. I I feel like the anxiety that I have is not because I'm terrified of having a teenager. It's because I'm terrified of the memory of my experience as a teenager, <laughs> yes. right? And, yeah. and because I was a basket case in, you know, starting high school, it's not fair to me to inflict that basket casedness 
onto my daughter, who is actually really quite level-headed, uh, although struggling with ADHD. Uh, I should not even say struggling. She's living with ADHD. There is yeah. a whole new set of, of sort of things to think about in terms of what are her responsibilities for care and feeding of herself as she, as she continues to grow. I need to let go of that as her parent riddled with anxiety, mm-hmm. anxiety that comes from me as a youth. Uh, yes. and let her have her own experience. And that's really hard to do. And I, I wonder if, if that's a thing that, uh, if, if please, please tell me I'm not alone. You are so not alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and more than likely, you know, for our generation, you were in high school managing, not understanding that you had ADHD. Well, I was or unsupervised even, at best. Right. Even yeah. if you were diagnosed, you weren't really being well-treated right. because right. what we know in the last 10 years is, you know, heads and shoulders about uh, above what we knew 20, 30 years ago. So I I love the way you shifted that because our kids are learning to live with ADHD and our job is to help them understand themselves and learn to live with and manage themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and that means stepping out of that, that need that we have to make sure it's going to be okay and to do it for them. Um, which is one role that we tend to do is to over, over commit over. Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Right. And recognize that, um, they're, they're going to falter a little bit as they figure it out. But if we don't give them the chance to figure it out, they're never going to figure it out. So that's one side of the coin. And then the other side of the coin is to, is the parents who are like, well, I tried, she said, she's got it. She doesn't got it. I I can't do anything about it. You know, those are the, the parents who throw up their hands and give up. Sure. Which is also not, you know, that's letting go too much. So the challenge is to let go consciously, uh, systematically, stru- you know, strategically, if you will. And, and that's, it's, a, it's an art. It's definitely more art than science. Oh, for sure. But you know, one of the things that I liked uh, that you said earlier was that it's, it's, it's really overcoming one challenge at a time and being yes. successful at that rather than trying to get your whole morning routine, you know, in, in place. Maybe it's just getting up on time or maybe it's just making sure that you take your medication. Maybe, you know, just really kind of breaking it down into little successes, which I would guess has got to be a lot less overwhelming. Uh, for the child or for the student. Exactly. I mean, there two things. One is it's, le- it's, it's less overwhelming. The other is the solutions are in the successes. Right. So when you help a child find a little success, maybe it's waking up, maybe it's brushing your teeth, maybe it's turning in a homework assignment or getting started, whatever the one place where you're taking aim and focusing, and then we call it taking aim. When they find success in that, the success breeds success. Then they, then they feel like, okay, I can, I can accomplish something and they're willing to take on something else. Mm -hmm. And then they can look to what worked there and go, okay, that worked. How can I apply that to something else? So it's really this, that's the place to look. Uh, and we have this tendency to, to look at our kid and say, well, that didn't work. And that's not doing, you're not doing that. And you're not doing that. And what they really need to hear from us is, wow, you, you didn't take the bait when your, when your brother poked you. You did a great job keeping your temper, mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. wow. recognizing the, the positive, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have a question about the balance, right? Between letting it all go um, and, <coughs> and still being somewhat there as a guide or, you know, as a, as a, uh, I, I don't want to say leader because that's not really right, but just still being involved, right? In, in mm-hmm. their school life. 
how do you do that? Like, for example, what comes to mind is say that somebody or a, a student did their homework, but they left it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they intentionally didn't leave it on purpose. It was just something that they forgot and they didn't pack it up. So do you, as a, you know, as a parent, go ahead and give that assignment and take it to the school? Or do you let them learn that lesson the hard way? Like that's what? A, it's a great question, and and you you may not like my answer. <laughs> I can already tell I'm not going to like it. But but bear with me for a minute because the answer is it depends, right? Mm-hmm. So it depends on a few things. It depends on where that child is developmentally, right? So, um, so where you know are you dealing with a seven year old or a ten year old or a fifteen year old? Are you dealing with a child who's um, you know, who it was all he could do to get his homework done in the first place? Or are you dealing with a kid who, you know, isn't really trying to pay attention? I mean, there's a lot of nuances there. So part of that answer is about, um, is about understanding and setting realistic expectations for a particular child. And we do a lot of work with our part of our model is about, um, is about setting realistic expectations or shifting expectations to meet the child where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, not lowering them, but meeting them where they are and inviting them to grow from there. So that's part of, part of how you determine the answer to that. The other is, is, is to ask, is this what this child's working on or not? So if, if what this kid is, you've been taking aim on is turning the homework in, then it may be more instructive for the child not to have it turned in so that they can learn from the experience. But if you've been really working on getting started and completing the homework, and that night that just didn't get put that in the backpack, but he did everything else, then you might want to take it in so that he's not suffering when he's actually really been successful and he's done a lot of work to be successful. So we want to, we want to make those decisions. We talk a lot about flexible structure and we want to have structures in place, but we need to have some flexibility with them, like a bridge or needs to be able to move, right? Or a building needs to be able to move. We need some flexibility so that we can help that kid learn from their successes instead of just constantly, no matter what happens, they're always going to feel like a failure. It's never going to work. This is is one that I'm thinking about a lot right now because to me it comes down in many ways to a question of advocacy and how well we are teaching our our kids to take responsibility to advocate for themselves right you know if if, in this example of homework if if my child has an expectation that i will always rescue them then i haven't done a good job of setting the expectation of advocacy if the if the child forgets the homework and says to the teacher, I forgot my homework. Can I call my dad and ask for a favor? Dad, please, I forgot this. I know I did this. Can you help me? Of course, I'm going to drop whatever I can and, and help out. It, it, it's, it's, there's a, a nuance to that. For, exactly. You know, the responsibility to actually you know, make something right and, and not you know, know what the pain looks like and advocate for yourself. And that's, that's kind of what I'm working toward. Well, and that's, I mean, it's what you're pointing to, we call it asking for help is teaching our kids that, that it's not only is it okay to make mistakes, but they're going to make mistakes. So expect that that's part of being human and to, to own it and learn how to manage it and deal with it and advocate for yourself, as you say. And that's, that's an enormous part of helping our kids be successful at school is to have them be able to do just what you said, you know, now, if, if your child was, was not in a condition where, where they were sort of expecting you to just rescue them every time, that's a whole different scenario than how I, I did all of these things, but, 
but I dropped the ball right here. Can you help me? And then it gives you an opportunity to have a conversation with, with her. And we call it failing forward later where you sit down and say, okay, what worked? You always focus on the positive first. Now, what didn't work? What would you do differently next time? So that they can learn from the mistake and use that as, as a constructive way to improve instead of just feeling like, like no matter what they can do, it's never good enough. Well, I have to tell you, Elaine, I love your answer. I absolutely love it. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. And it's probably coming from my own um, fear as a parent being judged by others. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I think that your answer, it does. It gives us that flexibility to really look at the situation and look at our own children as who they are. And it takes the pressure off of what you think is the right thing to do. Because if I was to talk to my parents, a different generation and say, okay, he forgot his homework, you know, they're going to say, well, he needs to learn from this. Yeah. But But how does he need to learn from it? How can you really help him learn from it is the key. Absolutely. And, and, and I love the point that you bring up of, you know, what if what he was working on was just finishing it and he did that, that's the success and that's what we need to recognize. And, uh, so I'm, I'm very pleased with that answer and it takes the, it takes the pressure off me a little bit. (laughs) Diane has this framework. She taught us, she taught me that we teach about the parent roles and there's sort of four different places where the parents roles. So when the kids are little, we start by motivating them and directing their effort, right? Motivating their, directing their work and motivating their effort. And then as they get a little older or more mature and don't confuse age with maturity with ADHD kids, then we want to start motivating their ownership and modeling the organization for them. And then the next step is to begin to transfer the ownership and support their organizational efforts. And then the last step is to empower them and tramp champion them and troubleshoot as they're sort of leading their life. Those are sort of your four stages over the course of their their academic career, if you will. So you're not going to hit phase four till probably late high school or college for most of our kids. Right. Um, and so most of our, of our kids, we spend, if we're lucky in high school, the parents who are, who are really um, owning their responsibilities well and have transferred it well are really in a support role by high school. Um, and that's where we want to be. And there are going to be some areas where we can be that more than others. And we may still be, um, direct, not directing, but modeling some of it while we're helping them take on the ownership. It's, it's again, as you say, it's very nuanced, um, and it's very individual. And the idea is to meet your child where he or she is, wherever they are and help them continue to grow from there and learn to own their stuff. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do is raise adults. Mm-hmm. I, you, with <laughs> most of the people uh, that, uh, you know, our audience, thinking about our core audience, the people who write us are people who are living with ADHD themselves. And, and right. you know, there are, and, and I'm going to speak, you know, personally right now, it is very challenging. Uh, it, it was certainly when I was diagnosed, it was very challenging to put a framework into place to uh, live my own life and figure out how to meet my own responsibilities, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, it would have been ridiculous for me to imagine ha- trying to help build a framework for my child with ADHD. Uh, mm-hmm. I've put a number of systems in place, and I've learned a lot over the last decade to be able to figure that out. Uh, but uh, it, was a, it, it was a process that was fraught with dangers 
you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're the monsters here and it took a decade <laughs> right. in, in your work with folks in this situation. How do you, how do you grease the skids? What do parents with ADHD, what <coughs> opportunities do they have to learn from their kids going through this process? Well, you know, a lot of the parents, we would, I would say that in our community, about half the parents that, that work with us in all of our various programs have ADHD themselves or some, you know, related issues and uh, a lot of anxiety, a lot of, of learning issues, dyslexia, et cetera. And then about half of them don't. And, um, for those who do, a lot of them figure it out like I did. And like, like many of us, because their kids are diagnosed and they start to sort of think, read about their kid and they go, wow, this sounds like me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so that's pretty common. And, and then the challenge is to help the adults with ADHD understand that by managing your own ADHD, that's what's going to enable you to help your child. It, it's what's going to model for your child. It's going to be what helps you connect with and, and in, improve your relationship with your child. Um, I was literally just on, on the phone with a client right before we spoke. And that was sort of the, the, my call to her, my call to action for her was, you know, we've been doing this for a while. And the truth is, I want you to take a deep breath and realize that, that we really need to focus on helping you manage your ADHD. Because that in, in her invite in her dynamic, that's what was really interfering with her relationship with her son. And that's an incredibly difficult thing to hear. It is. Yeah. It is. And you have to be right. in a trusting relationship right. and, you know, a supportive environment to be able to hear it. So and I give her a lot of kudos for being able to hear it. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause it's not easy. And, and, you know, there are plenty of parents who are like, it's not about me. I don't want to hear about me. I want you to fix my kid. And the truth is whether, whether you as an adult have ADHD or not, 90% of the challenge is in how we approach raising these complicated kids. And when we understand what we're bringing to the dynamic, we understand what they're bringing to the dynamic and where the neurology is, is in all of that. Right. That's at the core of really getting clear on what our roles and responsibilities are. It's sophisticated so, stuff. It's hard. Yeah. It is. And I have a question about how to work with teachers then, because obviously they have to be part of this circle, right? They have to be, uh, well, I would guess they need to be communicating with the, ch- with the child, with the parents. How, what suggestions do you have about that working with teachers mm-hmm. and Getting, making so, sure that your student yeah. has what they need. It's such a great opportunity because you, as a teacher, uh, you know, what is, oh, if you actually, put that. I was going to say, I'm not a teacher teacher. Yeah. I'm an educator. educator. I guess. Okay. I, so I'm an adult educator. I do not, I've not taught kids in a classroom in decades. So that is, I don't see myself as a teacher in that c- capacity. Well, I'm going to hang my hat on that anyway. If you put, if you put that <laughs> role on, <laughs> yes, what is fair. your expectation of how parents can better, or can best work with caregivers? So the first thing that, that we try to help parents understand is that more than likely they are as, as well-informed, if not better informed, than their child's teacher. And, and I don't say that to dismiss teachers. I say that because teachers are just woefully uneducated around ADHD in particular and other aspects of learning disabilities. And it's so sad and difficult and frustrating because they want to help these kids, but they're not, they don't the schools don't have the capacity to do the kind of in-service training that they really need to understand it well. So they get the cursory understanding. They get the bullet points. They get, you know, the here user reward chart. They get what they see in the IEPs in the 504s. 
but oftentimes the, the parent, the teachers don't really understand that, you know, the emotional impact or um, the sensory impact or, you know, we still are hearing from teachers, why can't he jest? Yeah. And there's a good neurological reason why he can't jest. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's the first thing is to, is to really sort of shift the expectation for parents that teachers are supposed to be the experts on this because they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not fair to ask them to, cause, cause it's outside of their training and their realm for, mo- for the most part. Um, and then the second is to, based on that is to really come to the teacher from a place of compassion and collaboration. Mm-hmm. Like instead of coming, a lot of parents will come in demanding, my kid deserves this. My kid's right is, you know, and that it's a style of advocacy that sometimes it gets results, but it, it doesn't build long-term teamwork. And what we really want to be doing is coming to, to the schools and to the teachers and saying, um, I get that this is a challenge. We have to accept and understand that these kids, probably about 25% of their classrooms oftentimes have kids with all kinds of complicated issues. Um, and there are way too many kids in the classroom. And so the pressure on them is outrageous. Like I have such admiration and respect for school teachers. Um, I just, I don't think I could do every day what they do every day. It's crazy. So, so really coming from that perspective of, of understanding and compassion and, and that I want to help you be the best teacher you can be for my kid, because I believe that that's your intention to start with what we call ADI, assume best intention. Well, we want to do that for our kids. But we also want to do that for our teachers to assume that they're there because they want to see kids in their class be successful and learn and they love learning. And it's frustrating for them when kids make it hard for for themselves or for other kids to learn, you know. So so it's really in the school environment, the beginning conversation is really about shifting expectations to understanding that that we're not going to fix this right now. We're trying to learn together to work, to manage it and to help this kid learn how to become a lifelong learner. And then the third thing I would say with the schools is to really, really begin to shift the emphasis from focusing on outcomes to focusing on the process. We, the schools tend to be very outcome focused. We've got to get the test results. We've got to get the grades. We've got to worry about the report. And with our kids, what's really essential, particularly in the younger grades, but really all the, all the way through, through, uh, through high school, what's really essential is that they learn how to learn and that they learn how to put processes in place and structures in place for themselves to learn how to learn. So I would rather hold a kid accountable to, did you study 10 minutes every day to whether you got an A or a B? Yeah. And that's a very tough, tough place for a teacher to understand because they are so held accountable to the outcomes. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's likely the most difficult one because you can't, you're asking a teacher who's like likely to be overburdened with, with you mm-hmm. know, work and big classes to, to now individualize in a way that can be very complicated. But, but, and I keep saying it's hard. So the other thing I want to say, cause I've heard myself say that twice now is it's also doable. It's, this is not, this is not rocket science. This is communication. Mm-hmm. And this is all about understanding human dynamics and improving communication. And it's doable. It really, you really can affect change. You really can teach kids with ADHD to understand themselves, to manage themselves, to self-advocate. 
Um, and it's essential that we do that because by the time they get to college, they're going to have to self-advocate. There's not going to be anyone to do it for them. The law requires that they do it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the other piece of this is it's an incredible gift that you're giving your, your child by, yes. by working on this. I mean, if you yes. remember when you were diagnosed, the feeling of awesome that comes with finally understanding something about yourself, you're helping your child do, get that same gift. So yes. uh, I think that's really important. Oh, I, I have one. My, the last question on my list is about relationships. And, and, you know, with ADHD, relationships can be hard. Uh, how do you talk to parents and their kids around uh, developing healthy, strong, you know, balanced relationships um, in, in the context of, you know, the school setting and, and you know, growing friends? Mm. Well, we, we talk a lot about relationships because what we find is that um, oftentimes when, when families start to unravel or struggle with, with managing the ADHD, um, the first place that gets impacted is the relationships because the parents and the kids, there's a trust that gets lost. And so when all else fails and and particularly with teenagers, when parents come to us with teenagers that are struggling, we always focus first on the relationship, you know, go out to lunch, go get your nails done, go to the movies, reconnect with your kid, because that is absolutely essential for them to feel like there's a safe and trusted place for them to be open and, and, tr- and for us to be transparent with each other. And then the other piece is, um, you know, in terms of, cause I think you're asking in terms of the relationship between the kids and their peers. Right. Right. Um, it, there are a few things. One is, is to model healthy relationship dynamics and, and, you know, to stay calm and to learn to collaborate and cooperate and, you know, do all of that at home. Um, don't be afraid of your, your kids spending time with their siblings instead of as much time with their peers as you think they should, because there's a lot of great stuff that they learn there. Um, and those are going to be their longest friends in their lives, their longest relationships in their lives. So, um, and it's very, very common for kids with ADHD to play with kids who are different ages from them, either older or younger. And so understand that that's common, really, really common for kids to play with younger kids. And that's not a problem unless you make it a problem. It's wow. really uh, yeah, okay. that's, that's sort of mind blowing because that is actually one. I didn't even know to ask that question, but it's absolutely what I observe in our own family. Mm-hmm. And I had never and I, I'm always thinking about that is that there is this absence of of, you know, close, deep friendships uh, in, in at school or in, in our community um, that are of peer age. Right. And if that's the case, and that's very often the case, all the more reason to cultivate, if you've got siblings in the home, if to cultivate sibling relationships and family teamwork and a sense of family togetherness, um, so that they do learn to establish healthy relationships and, and what that takes. Um, and there's, there's a lot of, it's important to help our kids develop social skills and to continue to cultivate that. Um, but, Try not to get stuck in believing that if it, if they're not playing with kids just the same age, that there's something wrong. Right. Our kids are developmentally three to five years behind their same age peers in some aspects of their development, right? Mm-hmm. That Not all of them, and that's where it gets confusing because cognitively, they're usually ahead of themselves very often, um, and they may be sort of overly mature in some areas and immature in others. And so, and so it's confusing because it's erratic and we're not, we don't really know what to expect of them. But if we realize that that's actually normal for them 
and that that's that will level out. Their executive function may or may not level out completely as they become adults, but eventually, from a developmental perspective, they will catch up with their peers. But they may not be doing it at twelve or fourteen. And I, I mean, I wrote an article once: What's so wrong with immaturity? Like, <laughs> like, why do yeah. we want our kids to grow up so fast? So fast. how does that serve them? Really, they need these kids need the time to process and learn what it takes to self manage, mm-hmm. and it's going to take them longer than their peers, and that's okay. Oh, I uh, okay. Story, may I? Yeah. Story. It's brief. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I had this experience, and I'm so glad you just said that. I had this experience. It was just a couple of weeks ago, and and I was watching a movie with my daughter, and it was a beautiful evening, and it was that sort of golden hour of light, and it started to rain. Mm. And she said, oh, uh, pause the movie. I said, what's up? She says, I have to go twirl. And <laughs> she goes out into this golden light, and she takes off her shoes in the yard. And and I don't know why she. I say she takes off her shoes. She doesn't ever wear shoes. She's like a hobbit. And yeah. she just starts twirling with her arms out in the rain and letting it fall on her face. And I thought, I don't ever want to lose that. Why am I pushing anything else? This exactly. is an incredible gift. For Did you get a us. photo, Pete? No, I wasn't ready. I was in oh. awe. I was like, I was too busy crying, Nikki. Come yeah, on. I know. <laughs> you were living in the moment. Good for you. Oh, it that is. A snapshot. That's a beautiful thing. It was enough. Beautiful. That was enough. And we had a similar thing the other night with the rain where we all, my, my son, my 15-year-old son was like, come on, come with me. And we all went and sat on the front porch and just watched the rain. It's just oh, lovely. Nice. And and I feel yeah. so much like, like uh, you know, same age peers. There's so many social uh issues going on and so many demands, kind of emotional demands that you forget how to go outside and twirl. And, and so you're right. What, what's so great about what's the rush? What's the rush? Go out and twirl. I have a 22 year old today is my 22 year old. Happy birthday. Um, and she calls it adulting. (laughs) Hashtag adulting. Hashtag adulting. And adulting is hard. It is. It is not easy to learn to manage yourself and to get to the doctor and do the, all the things they're responsible for. And like, so what's the rush? Like, yeah. You know, so true. So true. slow down a little bit. Let them take the time they need to learn to really have confidence with themselves. I love Absolutely. that so much. And go well, out and I, I have a question for you um, that is definitely very relevant in my household right now. And that is around social media. So when cool. you're talking about social relationships, that in today's world definitely uh, is directly related to technology and texting and and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of those things. Any advice on how to manage this that is so new to us. I mean, this is not something I ever grew up with. I mean, not right. even close. So, well, here's how I look at it. We are digital transplants and they are digital natives. So true. Right. <laughs> and so, and we have this, like, do you, do you feel like yourself? You're way too young to be sounding like your grandparents, right? In oh, my yes. day, <laughs> right? Yeah. Ask me as my bursitis kicks up again. Yes. Goodness. I'm <laughs> Like, this is ridiculous. Well, and I just before, I mean, and it's so interesting because people will say that like, well, when you guys were growing up, you never did this, but the the world is so different. Exactly. Like, I don't think it's a fair comparison because it's just so different. Well, and that's the thing is that like, this is their world and we can be resentful of it and we can be judgmental of it. And we can stand with our hands on our hips. And I had a client who told me he just won't get that phone away from his head. You know, and like we get really, we get all of these judgments around it. 
And, and I really do believe, it's not to say that we don't want to have limits on it, but I think that we need to let go of the judgment and let go of the shaming and the, all of the, the, the panic around it and get real and, and understand that, that actually the nature of communication is shifting. And there are some, there's some great research on what they are getting and the dynamics that they are learning and the, from social dynamics from, from the social world and, and to recognize that they are communicating differently. That doesn't mean we don't teach them how to look adults in the face and have a conversation. That's all important as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I think that if we let go, if we come from a place of like, well, this is their world, let's help them learn to manage it in a healthy way instead of coming from that hand on the hips judgment of you shouldn't be doing that. There's, there sh- must be something wrong about it. That's a good um, point. Yeah. That's a really it, good point. It really, they're, because they're going to react and get defensive if we're coming from judgment. But if yes. we're coming from understanding and helping them learn to manage it, well, you know, that's what parents are supposed to do. And, you know, we, we were mentioning it to, earlier, I think, that a huge amount of their world is on these screens now. Their schoolwork, their their homework assignments, their applications, everything is on the screen. So that's their reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so we, to some extent, we need to again, we need to meet them where they are, and help them learn to grow from there and to manage it well, instead of assuming that there's something wrong with it because it's unfamiliar to us or it's different. Well, and it's sort of, you know, I can see my, my family, especially my two kids saying, well, mom, you're being kind of a hypocrite. Hypocritical, right? Yeah. There you are on your phone and iPad and computer. And, you know, right. um, I have everything on my iPad. That's how I read a book. And my daughter just the other day was saying, you know, you can go and get an actual book. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you, just you know, got you're right. I know, I know. But you know, it is interesting because when you talk about managing it in a healthy way, one of the things that we told um, our son when he got his uh, first iPod, which he could text on, is we said, you know, just remember when you're texting something to someone, think about whether or not you would actually say it to their face. Like, would Mm -hmm. you say this to them? And, you know, kind of just pause for a second and make sure that's the case. And also because he's uh, at the time he was a seventh grader, just 13. I said, also, would you text this and in front of me? Like, is it okay for an adult to see this? Because I will be checking it. Yeah, (laughs) I'm one of those. I, you, you have to turn your phone in and I check it. Not all the time. I believe I, I, my barometer was always, would you want grandma to see it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say anything you wouldn't want grandma to see. And, and I'm sure they go beyond that, but, and there is, I, I agree with you completely. They need to understand that at this point they are being, it doesn't mean you're checking them, but that they, they have the capacity to be monitored. We, we own all passwords. They know that, that it's a privilege and right, right. that um that they they can lose if they're using it irresponsibly and we have a lot of conversations about using it responsibly and love to point out when people in the media are using it irresponsibly my favorite conversations are when people out there do stupid things yeah. and we can talk <laughs> about that how stupid that was because that helps my kid see where the where the boundaries are without it being about him or her right right yeah right there's some great stuff in, in the world right now. It's, there's a, so much fodder for, 
<laughs> for pointing out how to not behave in social media. Um, that it's really, you can take the judgment out of it when you're, when you're making a dinner table conversation about, you know, somebody else. That's right. I, okay. So I have one last question. Okay. Uh, with anxiety, I have a child who definitely lives with anxiety and he gets it from me. So I really relate to what you said earlier in the conversation about me imposing my anxiety on him. Cause I'm mm-hmm. sure that that's true. So ha- any suggestions with the new school year coming up, how to help both of us ease that anxiety of going back to school and just getting back into the routine of, of all of this. Well, you know, and I, I have a lot of anxiety in my house too. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, so I do write a lot about anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, the, we were talking about it in our, we have a group coaching program called the parent success system. Um, and it, it's this phenomenal program where you're in, placed in a small group of other parents of same age kids and a coach. And we talk, we talk about different topics every week or every other week. And so we were talking about the topic of transparency. And, um, and that's really what comes up to me as you, as you say that is when we're open and honest about what we're dealing with and we're not trying to hide or pretend it doesn't exist or pretend, make ourselves look good in our kids' eyes, not only does it cultivate trust with them, but it helps them learn how to manage the issues that inevitably they're going to struggle with as well. Because if we're dealing with anxiety, likelihood they're going to have some anxiety too, most of mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'm a big believer in transparency to be able to say, I, you know, I get that this is my issue. I know that right now I'm nervous about making sure you have everything you need to get ready for school next week. So I know you've probably got it under control, but would you just humor me and let's go through this list together so that I'll feel better. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to always make it about you. I mean, you know, it's a give and take, but, but sometimes to just be clear um, and open and frank and, and not try to pretend that you're not anxious. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I mean, I would also say you want to, you want to be, do the work you need to do to try to limit the things that make you anxious. And you know, that we do a lot of work around shifting that mindset for you so that you, you aren't as anxious as you mm-hmm. go into a new school year. Mm-hmm. Um, but kids, just like kids feel fear, kids read emotion. They know if you're feeling anxious. So if you try to pretend you're not, it's not going to fly. It's so right, true. Right. It is so true. I got to just, I have a little quick story to share <laughs> when you say that. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> so last year, I guess it was in the, it was towards the end of the year. So my son now is going into eighth grade and he's going to be 14 soon. So this was a, a you know, seventh grade, 13. And he had asked if he could go after school to play basketball at this park that's just right next to the school. And it was only going to be for like an hour, hour and a half after school. And I'm just like, you know, I don't know. I'm like really kind of, this is like the first time I would have let him do anything kind of on his own without like a parent being there. And so I was trying to figure out kind of what the rules were going to be and and who was going to be there and all that stuff. And finally, by the end of it all, we got everything worked out. Everybody agreed to what they were going to be doing. He's like, mom, just don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. (laughs) I'm like, okay. Yeah. It's like, and you want to be able to sort of trust them with each little, the next step and the next step, 
so that they can prove to themselves and to the you that they can do it. And then they'll yeah. take the next step. You know, we were, we were having a conversation. My son's a little bit older, um, about, he wanted to be able to stay home by himself. And we were like laughing. Cause like, there's no way you're staying home while we're out of town before you're 18. It's just not going to happen. And he was, you know, arguing like, why wouldn't I be able to, and, well, you know, for starters, you don't have a license yet. Okay. Well, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> But, but what he said, and it's very wise, was he said, why would I do anything to mess it up? Yeah. You know, right. if you're going to trust me with it, why would I mess it up? And if you are incrementally giving them a little bit more and a little bit more so that they can handle it, not so much so that they can't handle it, but enough for them to feel successful with it, they want to keep being successful with it, right? He, he's smart enough to know he doesn't want to screw this up. Yeah. And so for the most part, he's making pretty good decisions. Is he occasionally going to make a stupid choice? Yes. He's a 15 year old boy, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, but, but if I, if I don't let him do anything, then when he does get some, some space, he's going to go overboard because he's not going to have learned how to, how to measure it. That's so yeah. true. Yeah. Well, and in a in a sign of the times, back to this technology conversation, you know, my son is ten, and he says, "Hey, Dad, can you take me? I need to go get this Lego thing." I said, "Well, first of all, you don't have any money." He said, "Come on, just take me, and then you can get it, and I'll pay you back." Right? Whatever, I believe that. Mm-hmm. But I said, "I can't go right now," and he said, "Come on, can I go by myself?" And I said, "It's like five <laughs> miles away," and his response to me is, "Dad, Uber." <laughs> he does it. What does he know of Uber? He's never taken an Uber. I didn't. How does he learn that? Yeah. So yeah. So this is this is our brave new world. Uh, It is. And thank you. We have to be brave in it. And that's maybe that's the button at the end of this is that nobody told us that parenting was going to be a cakewalk. It's 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 a brave endeavor. And I resent them every day for not telling. This has been such a treat. Thank you so much uh, for oh, joining it's been us. My pleasure. Can you really. please tell us what you want people to do to learn more about you? Well, I definitely want people to go to impactadhd.com and sign up for we have free gifts on the site or newsletters or whatever whatever appeals to you, but but join our community, get on our mailing list. It's all free. It's it's just an amazing community of parents and and everything we do is about, you know, not the what, but the how. How helping you figure out how to put what you what you're learning into practice on a day-to-day basis. So impactadhd.com slash gift will get you a good something. Not sure what it'll be at that time you sign up, but it'll always be something good. Oh, I hope it's a cake. It's, right? <laughs> and then the other thing is 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 for parents immediately, we're doing um our back to school special we do every year. It's called back to school.com. And um this year we're doing a series of videos and culminating in a webinar. Um, every year it's something different, but every year in August, you can look for backtoschool.com and find something great happening. And again, it's all free and, um, it's designed to get people motivated to get parents back into the swing. And, and, and we're all about cultivating conscious parents. And so, you know, the more you're paying attention and reading emails and listening to podcasts, um, and thinking about consciously about how you're managing your ADHD and your kids' challenges, um, the better the relationships are going to be and the better the outcomes are going to be for your kids. 
So join us in any way that works for you. Come play with us and visit us at impactadhd.com and backtoschool.com. That's beautiful. This has been such a treat. Thank you so much. I hope this is not the last we hear from you. We would love to be back. I love this. You guys are fun. Outstanding. (laughs) You don't even (laughs) tell stories, so I don't have to. It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, thank you very much. Absolutely. Nikki, closing comments from you. You know, I feel, I, I got to be honest, I feel so much better about this new school year coming up. Seriously, like my anxiety is probably gone down at least three or four notches. So I'm good. This that's is a, great. That's a, that's a big win. That's a it's big a huge win. win. Yeah. It's a huge win. Yes. It. Well, this has been a real treat. Thank you so much, everybody, for downloading and listening. On behalf of Elaine Tyler-Klaus and Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright, and we will catch you next week right here on the ADHD Podcast. Mm-hmm.